You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Let me ask you, if you will, please, to open your Bible to the last chapter of the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. And in a few moments, we're going to stand together and we're going to be reading uh, the 15th verse of this chapter. Now, let me remind you that uh, this evening, together, we are beginning officially a series of 10 messages in which we're going to talk about decisions all of us need to make that will set us on course for the rest of our lives. And of course, the psalmist said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts toward wisdom. And I'm surprised at, all, at the great number of people who have no focus in their life, even right now. You ask them uh, what they're doing, they'll say, well, I'll, I'll decide when I get up in the morning, or I'll see what's on my plate when I get there, or I'll see what my secretary has got for me to do. I know sometimes people say, Brother Tom, could I have an appointment? I say, wait a minute, Marge Malone is my brains, and uh, I'll have to go ask Marge if, if I can do that. Well, at the same time, there are many people who have not the foggiest idea, not a ghost of an idea, where their life is headed, where it will take them if they continue living the way they're living. They've never thought about it. If they continue with the same habits, the same desires, the same plan for life, many people have absolutely no idea where that will take them. And so it is my firm belief that every believer in Christ needs to make some significant decisions right now that will be like a compass in our lives for the rest of our lives. Big decisions, important decisions. Now, I have discovered that if you make a big decision in the proper way, that will make a lot of much smaller decisions unnecessary. A man came to me one time. He said, man, I'm, I've got so many things I'm trying to, make, trying to decide about. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm trying to decide about whether to take a job offer that my company has given me, a, a promotion of transfer and go to New York City. He said, I don't want to do that. He said, also, I'm trying to decide whether to sell uh, my house. I don't know whether I should... Uh, I should sell my house. And he said, also, to be perfectly frank, I'm trying to decide whether to even stay with this company. I'm not, I'm not sure that I ought to stay with this company. I said, what would you do if we, you didn't stay with the company? He said, oh, I'd like to live right here in town. And so I said, the truth of the matter is you only have one decision to make. He said, no, Pastor, you see, I have three. There's this job transfer and there's this house sale and then this changing companies. I said, no, you only have one decision to make. And that's the first decision. Are you going to stay or are you going to leave your present employment. I said, now, if you're going to stay with it, it appears to me from what you have told me that you cannot remain here. You must either move or leave. And he said, that's absolutely right. So if I stay with the company, he said, I am moving to New York. I said, that's right. And if you move to New York, you're going to sell your house, right? He said, that's right. I said, you really have one decision to make. You need to decide whether you're going to stay with this company. There are many people in this congregation this evening who are carrying decisions you do not need to carry. And many of the decisions you are trying to make or sort through and that are causing you fretfulness are there in your heart, in your mind, swimming around, creating confusion because there may be some very important, larger decisions you need to make. And it is those decisions we're going to address in this series of messages. For the rest of my life, I will... And tonight we're going to be thinking about the issue of devotion. I will be a devoted man or a devoted woman, a person who is devoted. You say, to what or to whom? We're going to deal with that in just a few moments. But you need to be known, I need to be known in this world and before God's throne as a person of devotion. Now, devotion has to do with focus. For instance, when you say to your family... I'm going to come home from work, you fathers, and uh, say this, I'm going to come home from work, 
and I'm going to give my family undevoted time this evening, or, or de devoted time. I'm going to give them my undivided attention. I'm going to give them devoted time. This, this evening is devoted to you. Now, what that means is that you're not going to come on and turn on the television and pick up a newspaper and sit down in the easy chair and say, well, here I am watching TV, reading the newspaper. Don't bother me. No, when you say I'm going to devote this evening to you, that means you're going to focus upon them, their needs, their desires, your time with them. Now, I'm not a big uh, believer in, the, in these guys who say, well, I don't get to spend much time with my kids, but I spend quality time. The truth of the matter is kids spell love, T-I-M-E, just time. And not all that time has to be quality time. It just has to be you being available. You're not always going to be needed. You're not always going to be called on. But it's a matter of your availability to your children. Some guy says, well, uh, my kids are going to get along just well. I'll still have an influence even though I'm going to leave my wife. I'm going to run off someplace. But I'm going to meet with them once a week or maybe every other weekend. And I'll give them quality time. You know what happens? What happens there is that you make your children a project. And when you have that quality time, the tendency is either to lavish on them attention so that you will, they will remember you as something who gave them everything they wanted and not discipline them or to try to make up for the discipline you don't think they're getting where they're living. Children just need you there, Dad, Mom. They need you there. Love, again, T-I-M-E. That's the way you spell it. And so when we speak about giving undivided attention or devoting our attention to someone, we're saying you, whether it's singular or collective, you are going to receive all of my attention, all of my effort, all of my thoughts for this period of time. Now, I believe there are certain devoted devotions that we need to settle early in our life, and I want to encourage you to settle them this evening, and so that's why we're going to look at this passage of Scripture. You have found it now, Joshua 24, stand with me. And let's look at what the Bible says. Joshua is at the most a few days, probably a few hours away from his death. Joshua was Moses' successor. He is the one who had led the children into Canaan, where it is Moses who had led them out of Egypt. Joshua was the one who had been a battle strategist the captain of the troops of Israel. He had some remarkable meetings with the Lord, one of those meetings, of course, over by the wall of Jericho on the eve of that time when they marched into the city of Jericho when the walls fell down as God said they would. Joshua is a remarkable person. He and Caleb were the only two of the original 12 and the only two of fighting strength who had come out of Egypt who were permitted to go into Canaan because it was only Joshua and Caleb who, unafraid of the giants, said, if God's with us, we can go into the land. And it was their opinion that made the vote not a majority vote, but the majority won, and they wandered in the wilderness as a result of that. Joshua is a remarkable man. Joshua saw something happening in the hearts of the Israelites. What he saw was that as they had come into these lands and into these cities, they didn't build the houses. They didn't plant the vineyards or the fields. They didn't make all those preparations. They simply occupied them. They overran the enemy, chased them out, routed them, and they began to live in, in relative ease compared to the wilderness where they had been living for 40 years. And he said, I have a problem. I see that you are beginning to forget the Lord. And so let's look, if you will, please, at verse 15. He says, Now, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord... Choose you this day whom you will serve. Joshua said this is an urgent decision you need to make. And I believe some people here this evening need to make urgent decisions, all of us probably, about our life, about how we're going to live until the day we die or meet Jesus. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He said, go ahead. He said, if you're going to serve them, just be clear about it. But he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice their response. They said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And Joshua gives them a stern rebuke and a warning, and they make a covenant at that moment that they're going to serve the Lord their God. It was a covenant 
they did not keep very long, and they came under the judgment of God for lying. But Joshua was laying it on the line. He said, choose you this day whom you'll serve. As for me and as for my house, said Joshua, here's the truth. We will serve the Lord. That's where we're coming down on that side of the issue. That's where we stand. Father, I pray that you will show us what it means to be a devoted man, a devoted woman. Father, I pray that somehow within the hearts of these teenagers, whom I love so much, that, that you would stir in their hearts as well and help them to realize that decisions they make now will affect their forever, will guide them through school and university and through the rest of their life, those decisions they make now. And Father, I pray that you would help us all to understand that it is not too late in life to make that declaration, for we are alive and we are here, and we believe you are here speaking to our hearts, and we are reminded that these are the words of Joshua virtually on his deathbed. This declaration, as for me and as for my house, my offspring, we've settled it. We are serving the Lord. So, Father, I pray, trusting your Holy Spirit will impart these truths to us tonight, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why would I want to encourage you to make this decision now? Why wouldn't I say, let me throw out some issues, let you go home, think about it, pray about it, and then if you think there's any legitimacy to it, will you make that decision? Why would I urge you to make this decision now? Because you're going to be confronted with issues in life, and you need to have it already settled which way you're going to go. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say that you're a young man or a young lady and you happen to be over at um, a friend's house with a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and let's suppose that, unfortunately, and, and much to my own sadness and probably the sadness of your parents, let's suppose that the occasion means that mom and dad are not there. I discovered that more and more of this is happening. Parents say, yeah, y'all take the house, do what you want. Sad thing. And suppose so, you're there with your girlfriend or you're there with your boyfriend. Nobody else is there, just the two of you and the lights get turned down low and the pressure rises and the heat comes up. Now, is that a good time to try to decide whether you're going to be a person of moral purity? That's a terrible time to make that decision. That's like trying to decide whether you need a car after you've already gone out of the car lot and are sitting behind the steering wheel of a new vehicle. That's a terrible time to decide whether you need an automobile. Now, here you are, you're, the pressure's on you, and you're trying to decide whether you will be morally pure. Well, if you've made that decision a long time ago, in the first place, you probably won't be in that house. In the second place, that decision having been made guides you to say, wait a minute, this is not part of my lifestyle, this is not me, I must leave. I mean, let me just talk to some of you businessmen here. Let's suppose that the deal of deals comes to you tomorrow. I mean, it is the sweetheart of all deals. And as a matter of fact, it's what you've been waiting for. It may be even what you've been praying for. It's what you've told your wife and family would be the solution to all your problems. Kids, if Dad could just do this, we'd live a little bit differently. Sweetheart, if we could just get this deal settled, if that just goes down, we're going to be able to pay off so many bills. We're going to be able to settle so many of our problems. If that just works, and lo and behold, tomorrow morning, that deal comes across your desk. Now, now, there's just this kicker with that, and that is that in order to facilitate that deal, you are going to have to do a little bit of paper engineering. It's not a lot, and, and uh, people do it all the time, and, and it's one of the things that people in your trade have just become accustomed to. You know it's illegal. It doesn't seem a lot illegal to you. It's just a little lie and yet you're going to have to do that. So what do you do? I mean, this is the deal of deals. Well, now, is that a good time to decide whether you're going to be a man of honesty and integrity? No. The time to decide that is way in advance so that when that comes across, you don't have to sit there and hold that letter or hold that contract and thumb through it, worrying about, well, should I or should I not, can I or can I not, fretting about it. When it comes across, you see what's dishonest about it and say, no, I'm sorry, it's off because I have chosen to be a man of integrity. That's why we try to encourage people. Tony mentioned this about giving. 
That's why we encourage people to make up their mind that they're going to give the Bible away. Why? Because the church needs the money. Let me tell you, the biggest reason we give in our family, the biggest reason all of us should give is because God has placed that in our lives as a way of getting us into what's going on in his economy and also what's going on in the world as, as, as far as ministry is concerned. The need is our need. Not God's need. God's not broke. He's not even bent. The need is our individual need to come to grips with the fact that giving is an issue of faith, you see. And so when's the time to decide that? Well, you heard what Tony said a few moments ago. He said, I started as a little boy. I can say the same for myself. I can say the same for all of our children. It's just something that, that has to be understood, applied, and you have to realize God is in this, and if God is in this, there are no questions. Brother Tom, why are you saying all this? Because I want to encourage you tonight to make these decisions. If you will make these decisions, it will focus your life. It'll settle a lot of things that you may be troubled about right now. It will give you a clear-cut path to the heart of God for the rest of your life. And so what are these decisions? Well, they have to do with devotion, all right? I will be a devoted man. You can say, I'll be a devoted lady, mother, father. I'll be a person of devotion. You say, all right, what, what does that mean? Well, a devotion, as I said a few moments ago, means that you focus your attention, you focus your life. Well, upon what or upon whom should we focus our attention? Now, I'm going to list four things for you this evening. And you're not going to be surprised at some of these. You are going to be surprised at others of these. Let me just tell you from the beginning, and this will be a real surprise to every person here who is gainfully employed. God never says in the Bible that you ought to be devoted to your work. Now, God tells us how we ought to work. He says, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. The Bible says God blesses a diligent man. We're told to be diligent. We're told to be honest in our work. We're told to be faithful in our work. But there is no place in the Bible where it says a man should give himself wholly, unstintingly, totally devoted to his work. Now, the Bible does say that we ought to be devoted to some others. And if you will be devoted to these four issues or four individuals, that I'm going to mention in the next few moments, you won't have any problem being the best person where you're employed in terms of diligence, in terms of productivity, in terms of honesty, in terms of creativity. I mean, you won't have any problem being that. It'll solve your work problem. May, may create some for some of you. You may say, well, I'm in the wrong kind of work. I'm going to have to leave. But what I'm saying is this. There's no place in the Bible, and I'm saying that because... There are people in the hearing of my voice right now, there are people not only in this congregation, but people who uh, watch on television or are listening on the radio, and they are proud of themselves because they are giving themselves totally, wholly to their work, and as a result are losing their heart for some people and for some purposes that God has specifically assigned to them. And I want to tell you that you don't have to go too far beyond the page that we read tonight till you find a man of God who was so devoted to his work as a judge and a priest that he lost his two sons. He was devoted to the ministry. And he was so devoted to the ministry that his two sons were lost for the purposes of God. His two sons, in fact, became the instrument by which God brought judgment upon Israel and the Ark of the Covenant was lost. A man so devoted to his work, there's not a place where it says, your work gets everything. If you can fit your family in, if you can fit God in, if you can fit the rest in, just give yourself the work. And I know the world idolizes and idealizes people like that. But let me tell you, that's a myth. And there's no place in the Bible where it says your work ought to come first or that you ought to devote yourself to your work. If you devote yourself to God, for instance, as I'm going to talk about in a few moments, you won't have any trouble being the best person at the plant. You'll have no trouble doing that. All right, what are these four issues? Number one, you ought to be devoted to the Father. 
I'm speaking of the heavenly Father. As for me and my house, said Joshua, we will serve the Lord, devoted to God, taking my energies, my thoughts, my ambitions, my desires, and bringing them first of all to God and saying, Lord, what I want to be more than anything else is an offering to you. I am wanting to be devoted to you. Now, let me just say a word or two about the kind of devotion that Joshua displays here and the kind of devotion to God that God will honor in your life. First of all, it must be what I want to call a particular devotion. You say particular in what way? All right, your devotion to God has to be above your devotion to anything or anyone else in this world. Anything or anyone else in this world. Now, let me just say that um, the Lord Jesus himself, when he was responding to men who wanted to follow him, he said, if a man comes after me and doesn't hate his father, his mother, his brother, his sister, yea, and his own life also, he can't be my disciple. Now, before you get all bent out of shape, let me tell you what he means by that. That's called hyperbole. And what Jesus is saying is that your love for me, your devotion to me, is to be so unique, so distinct, that every other kind of love in this world looks like hatred by comparison. It doesn't mean you shouldn't love your father and mother and your wife and your children and your own life. It doesn't mean that. But it just means by comparison, the love that you have for them is so far below the love that you have for God. You say, now, wait a minute. I'm supposed to love my parents and my, my father and mother and my wife and my, and my... Yes. And by the way, you know how to love them best? Love God. Love God. The best thing you can do is let it be known in your heart that love for God comes first. By the way, I say this carefully. I believe people who love God ought to do just like you're doing here this evening, ought to be in church. But let me say this. There are some people in families where others don't even know about God who confuse loving God with loving church. And their avid devotion to things that take them away from those lost people at home, that cowardly, wicked husband, or that, uh, that uh, jealous, ambitious wife, and, and, they come, and they just become just slaves. To any, you just name it, you name it, you name it, I'll do it. Let me tell you something. If at home you are walking away from people who don't know the Lord Jesus, be careful. Love for God is not the same as love for church. Now, I love the church. I don't have that problem at home. I love the church. My family loves the church, so I have no problem. Some people say, we want to be family time. Great. The best family time you can have is with your family in church. That's just exactly right. Your family ought to have some consistent things you do together. One of the best is to be in church, and you're here tonight. Most of you will be here Wednesday night. When you stop by to fellowship with the people of God and you begin to grow in faith. But the love you have for the Father must be a particular kind of love. Secondly, not only should it be a particular kind of love, it's got to be a principled kind of love, a particular devotion, a principled devotion. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, a lot of people, they talk about loving God, but they just don't do what he says. And God is a God of principle. Uh, think about this in your home, parents. I mean, you're familiar with this. You say to a child, look, there's several things that need to be done or there's several issues that we need to settle here, maybe time or maybe your room or maybe what you're doing at school or maybe, you know, and you say about these things, you say, okay, let's get this settled. And you strike an agreement here. You, you share your heart and say, this is it. We need compliance. Say yes, and then there is disobedience. And the child says to you, well, I want you to know, first of all, I love you, but I don't intend to obey you. Now, that's crazy. You see, we have in our life this idea that you can separate love as an emotion from love as a lifestyle. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. 
Don't come up saying, we love you, God, and sing this chorus, oh, how he loves you and me, and we love God. And if you don't intend to go out and keep his commandments. You say, well, Brother Tom, this sounds sort of rigorous. Well, let me just tell you, that's New Testament. That's what Jesus says. If you love me, keep my commandments. God has principles. And our devotion to the Lord must be a principled kind of devotion. Let me give another illustration of this. Our church, for some reason, known only to God, for a reason for which I am particularly grateful, our church has become a haven and a healing place for people who have had their marriages torn asunder by divorce. I'm glad they feel comfortable coming here. I'm glad, the Bible says, he sets a solitary in families. I'm glad they know they will be loved, people who've gone through this. I mean, going through that is a horrendous thing. Did you know that in all my 33 years now of counseling people who have been going through marital problems, do you know something that people tell me over and over again that almost wants to make me just push my chair back and laugh at the ridiculousness of it? I have heard men, for instance, say to wives, now they've been unfaithful to her, They've already planned to leave her. And we're sitting there, and this guy will say something like this, Brother Tom, I just want you to know I love my wife. But this has just come down. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. You don't. See, see, love would mean you don't cut her up to shred, lacerate her, tear apart the thing that's most important to her. I've heard, had ladies say, Now, Brother Tom, I know this, this, this relationship I'm having and my intention to leave my husband and to take my family and to go someplace else. I want you to know this doesn't love my husband. We've had a good life together. No, 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 wait a minute, that's ridiculous. You see, God says love has principles. And you just can't talk out of both sides of your mouth, friend. Am I getting through? I, does this make sense to you? Some of y'all are going like that, and some of you are going... I'm just saying that when you come before God and you say, I'm going to be devoted to God, you cannot separate saying to God, I love you, I want to be devoted to you, from keeping his word. Now, what do you say, you say about keeping? You say, you know, not ever doing it? No, no, no. You don't get to heaven by keeping all the rules. All right, but listen. Here's what it means. It means that you no longer have an argument with the Bible. It doesn't mean you know everything the Bible says. It doesn't mean you've already discovered and arrived at all the things you're supposed to do and all the things you're not supposed to do. And you see, that's the problem with Judaism. Those were the Judaizers in the book of Galatians. It doesn't mean that at all. But here's what it means. It means, God, whatever you say, I have no argument with it. I may need you to explain what that means. I may need you to fill in the blanks, but I'm telling you ahead of time, I've got no argument with what is in your book. And so love has to be not only particular love, it has to be a principal love. Let me tell you something else very quickly. It needs to be a practical love, a love that is lived out. It's got to be life service, not just lip service. And uh, a lot of people who give lip service, they say, oh, I love the God. No, no, I'm a Christian. No, I'm a member down at First Southern. I'm a member wherever. No, I, I love the Lord. I, lo- I love the Lord. Well, are you serving the Lord? Oh, I'm one of those backsliders. How long? Oh, 20 years, 30 years. Or some people won't say 20 or 30 years, but if you look at their life, you discover they're not reading the Bible now like they were 30 years ago. They're not praying like they were 30 years ago. You see, the point is, it's lip service for them. It is not life service. And here is Joshua saying, now look, you folks go the way you want to go. I can't make you go toward God, but I'm going to speak for me and I'm going to speak for my family. We are choosing to serve the Lord. And Joshua evidenced it by life service, and he only had hours left to live here, but he evidenced it by life service. It's got to be a practical kind of love. It's to be a passionate devotion. Particular, principle, practical, is to be a passionate devotion. What is passionate devotion? Um, I, I think of it in these terms. You remember the... Uh, uh, what is it? It's a Wonderful Life. We all watch it 10 or 12 times around Christmas time. Jimmy Stewart, you remember that? It's a Wonderful Life. What, what, Mary? Um, you remember that, don't you? Sorry. Um, 
But one time he said he was going to do what? He said, I'm going to lasso the moon for you, Mary. Now that's passionate love. That's passionate. It says nothing is too good for you. Nothing is too great for you. No challenge is too big that I won't accept it because I am devoted to you. I will do anything that I can for you in any way that I can for you. I love you passionately. And I'll tell you what the, why many people will never receive Christ by watching some Christians I know. Some Christians I know live this sad, bleak, dispassionate life. They're never excited about anything. They're never supercharged about anything. They, they're just, you know, they're just, just passionate. Christians say, okay, it's time to go to church. Okay, well, it's time to go home. Okay, I guess it's time to give. Okay, it's time to... Time to decide for the third year in a row I'm not going to get any E. It's time to... And they have no passion about it. Christianity says, okay, it's time to go to church. Okay, well, it's time to go home. Okay, I guess it's time to give. Okay, it's time to, time to decide for the third year in a row I'm not going to get any E. It's time to... And they have no passion about it. And your love is to be a passionate love. Here is Joshua standing up before thousands, hours before he dies, and said, listen, you go your way if you want to, but I'm choosing to serve the Lord. It's a passionate love. And finally, it is a pervasive love or a pervasive devotion. In other words, your love for God has to filter down through everything. That's the reason if you love God, it'll affect your work. If you love God, it'll affect your home. If you love God, it'll affect the way that you come to church and the way that you participate in reaching out to other people who need Christ. If you love God, it will change everything. It has to be a pervasive kind of love. It's to affect everything that you do, everything that you do. So from for the rest of my life, can you say I will be devoted? First, devoted to the Father. Secondly, I'll be devoted to my family. We're told in the Scripture specifically that we are to be devoted to our families. Now, let's just mention the particular entities to whom you're devoted. First of all, if you're unmarried, haven't found that most wonderful person in the world yet, right now, and in one sense for the rest of your life, you have a particular calling to show devotion to honor your parents. And by the way, the most interesting thing to me is that we'll come to a time where we have the Lord's Supper. The Bible says that you should not participate in the Lord's Supper. If you've examined your heart, you find that there's anything in your heart against your brother. And a lot of people never think that as children, having something in their heart against a mother or a father is having something against a brother, so if, if they're Christian. Here's somebody out here who has ought against you, or you have ought against them. Go settle it. And then come and make your gift. That's what the Scripture says. And a lot of us as children never remember that those parents are included in that group. And I've known of people who treat friends better than they treat their parents. They treat their employer better than they treat their parents. They treat school teachers better than they, they treat their parents. They treat anybody better than they treat their parents. They would not talk to anybody like they talk to their parents. You say, you're talking about teenagers growing up. I'm talking about adults that I've been around. And by the way, that love and devotion to our parents is to be first until our partner comes along. But even after our partner comes along, there is still a love and devotion which we ought to have that is unhindered for our parents. God plans it that way. It says we are to honor our parents. It doesn't say children who are teenagers or children who are this old. It just says we are to honor our parents in the Lord. This is right, the Bible says. Now, I realize that many of you have parents who do not know Christ. Did you know there's a possibility that if you really honored them, they might believe Christianity really works? That's possible. I know I've seen that happen many times where people have said, you know, I've been treating them like the scum of the earth. They're not Christians anyway, and after all, you know, they're going to go to hell, and they don't want to hear anything about it. They made my life miserable, and, and we, you, know, you know what you ought to do? You ought to go ask them to forgive you. You say, what if they don't? Well, at least you've asked. See, it's better to go through life with sadness a little bit than for, with regret for the rest of your life. That is the regret of having not treated people like God wants you to treat them. And by the way, we're living in a society which is sort of the, uh, an, an unique society. It was not unique to the Scripture. You say, why? Joshua lived to be 110 years old, I believe, is what the Bible says. Isn't that right? 110 years old. And so, you know, 
we're talking about, oh, how it is now, you know, uh, our parents take care of us, and then, then it didn't used to happen this way, everybody died, but now we take care of our parents. I would thank God for that privilege. And I would tell you this, moms and dads, you ought to be particular about the way that you tend to the needs of your parents, not, not neglecting your own partner, not neglecting your own children, but at the same time, you ought to be particular in that way because your family is learning about how to take care of you. And your partner is learning what you're going to think of her. Now, we have a dog. That dog is, is real old for the kind of dog he is. He's been a wonderful dog. And, uh, but he's losing some things. I mean, he's losing his hearing and he's losing his eyesight and... And um, so he got to where he just couldn't manipulate. And my wife said, well, that, that dog is sleeping outdoors. And I said, does this mean that when I lose my hearing, you got the picture? You know what she said? Yep. You got a picture. You know, there's no place in the Bible where it says, okay, you can say to mom and dad, look, I've got my children, you know, bug out of my life. I have no intention of having anything to do with you. And you cannot believe the number of people who are sitting around in homes or in nursing homes or in hospitals. And I go by and see them, and I'll say to them, well, when did you talk to your kids? Well, I think it was last Thanksgiving. And they'll start crying. Now, there's right and wrong ways to do that, but you understand parents. Then you're to love your partner. Now, when your partner comes into your life, your partner is to get your primary focus. The best way to love your kids is to love your partner. I'm still learning what this means to love my partner. I said something to Jeannie this afternoon. She remembered the sermon this morning. She said, I want you to know I'm only in this room because of the lordship of Jesus, not of love. Throws it right back in my face, just like that. But you are to be focused, devoted, to your partner, husband or wife. And that doesn't mean be devoted by saying, okay, I'm going to make sure that we go through life man and wife together. Hey, that's one thing you ought to make sure. But let me tell you something. You can, you can split from your wife or from your husband with your eyes or in your mind. You can fantasize. You would not believe the number of times people in our church go to visit other people who say they're Christians, knock on the door and go on in, and they're these stupid soap operas on and there's some guy, you know, lying with no, nothing on his chest, you know, lying in bed with some gal who's half-clothed, and one of these days on TV they'll re remove censoring and you can see anything you want to see, for, you know, just wake up to the facts. And here are these people. They're supposed to be Christians. They're just sitting there, just, just sucking this stuff in. Let me tell you something. The, the end result of... What, what causes people to leave their partner is that they leave them, first of all, with their eyes, and then they leave them with their mind, and they just get farther and farther and farther away. You're to be devoted to your partner. And then you're, de you're devoted to your progeny. That means your offspring, your children. The Bible has a lot to say about how you are to rear children in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord, what you are to build in their heart. The Bible is a wonderful instruction book when we have this Gary Smalley seminar here in November, you're going to hear some wonderful instructions about how to relate to your wife, how to relate to God, how to relate with your children, how to relate to your husband. But we are to be devoted to our children. And by the way, moms and dads, it's not over till it's over. So there's never a time when you say something that's so silly as this. Well, I told him, as long as he puts his feet under my table, he's going to obey me. You know what you've just told him? You've just told him he doesn't have to obey you if he gets out of the house. You've made obedience a matter of geography. Respect a matter of geography. Honor a matter of geography. See, that's not even a smart thing to say. You have a responsibility for your children all the way through. Now, that doesn't mean you can meddle. Some people need to learn how to cut the apron strings without cutting the heart strings. You don't need to meddle. You don't need to interfere. You need to back up. You need to let your kids be your kids. But there is a sense in which it's not over until it's over. And you have an undying responsibility for your children. So you are to be devoted to the Father, devoted to your family. Number three, quickly, you're to be devoted to the faith. The Bible specifically says you are to be devoted to the faith. The Apostle Paul said 
Some of his last words were, I fought the fight, I have kept the faith. You say, what is the faith? Does it mean faith in Jesus? Well, partly. But that's not all of it. When the Bible speaks about the faith as a subject, it means all that you believe from the Word of God, from the heart of the Lord, that has become the value system for your life, the guiding principle for your life. That's the faith, the body of faith that God has given you. The things that God has taught, the Word of God, comprises the body of faith. Now, there are three things you need to do, and I'll just say them quickly, in order to be devoted to the faith. Number one, you need to settle the fundamentals of the faith. You need to settle the fundamentals of the faith. The basic truths of the Scripture... One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus, God in the flesh, born of a virgin, perfect, died on a cross to atone for our sins by the shedding of his blood, raised on the third day alive, and will give life to those who receive him by faith, for salvation is by the grace of God, as you exercise the faith that God gives you in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are other principles, principles related to the fundamentals, related to the second coming, the church. There are all kinds of fundamentals in the Scripture. You need to settle those. Now, listen, let me tell you what you don't need to settle. Please listen. There is an abundance of books and classes and seminars and all kinds of stuff available for believers in Christ. And I want to tell you something. What you need to focus upon is what God clearly says in His Word, not what some person's opinion about that is. I tell you, there's so many people who are divided and they're crazy and they, 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 they look down their nose at other people because not because they can point you to a passage of Scripture that says this is the Word of God, it is a doctrinal fundamental, but because somebody in some book or in some tape or at some seminar said, well, I think that, you know, that like we say, well, there's a word here, you know, God likes us to eat vegetables. And so somebody goes down here, discovers in a science lab that broccoli is a better vegetable for you than something else. And so he comes to a seminar and says, God wants you to eat broccoli. Well, now, wait a minute. That's his opinion. That's not what the Word of God says, you see. Yeah, well, the Word of God doesn't really say, you know, God wants you to eat all your vegetables, but I guess if you twist it far enough, you could say that. But you see what I'm saying? And people start judging each other by whether they are walking according to the opinions of a man. And that is not the issue. You need to settle the fundamentals of your faith. It's one of the reasons we come to church, to deal with the fundamentals of the faith. Number two, besides settling the fundamentals... We need to savor, savor the fellowship. In order to be devoted to the faith, we need to spend time with those on earth with whom we're going to spend time forever in heaven. That's why it's wonderful that you're here this evening. That's why it's wonderful when we gather on a Wednesday night. It's wonderful when we gather on a Sunday morning. It's wonderful when you're in Bible study. People who say they're Christians but who ignore the church have good reason to doubt their salvation. Not because I so say so, but because the Scripture says so. They feel like strangers at a family reunion when they come to church. And the reason is that they are. They went out from us because they were not all of us, 1 John 2, 19. And so you need to savor the fellowship. You need to work actively to make sure there's harmony and accord. That's what's so wonderful. That's what I love being in church. And there's, there's joy in the Spirit. People who loving the Lord, you ought to just savor that. You ought to just taste that. Savor the fellowship. And finally, being devoted to the faith means that you will seek the faithless. People who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot be devoted to the fundamentals of the Christian faith and not be actively engaged somehow, some way, in wanting to see other people saved. You just can't do it because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so you seek the saved. Devoted to the Father, devoted to the family, devoted to the faith. These are all things the Bible says deserve our devotion. Finally, devoted to the finish. 
Joshua spoke these words not long before he died. Joshua's first words that we never know anything about were many, many years earlier when at Kadesh Barnea, Joshua said, we can go in and conquer the land. And so Joshua was an individual who is committed to the finish. Now let me just mention something here, and this is really on my heart. I see a lot of people who start out well, but they don't end very well. This world is filled with people like that. They start out well, but they don't end very well. And if there's anything I would want to be known as being as a father or as a Christian or as a pastor or whatever, it would be that I ended well. That I ended well. That I, as my son said one day, that I left my heart on the field. What he was saying was, everything I could give, I gave. And if there's anything that I want to do for my son and my daughters and my grandchildren and, and my wife and for this wonderful church, God has allowed me the privilege of pastoring for these many years, and I pray for many more. If there's anything that God, I believe God wants me to is to say, be devoted to the finish. And I just see so many men, so many women who get to a certain point in their life where they just shut it all down. And they just sort of go off in spiritual la-la land. Yeah, I used to teach. Yeah, I used to sing in the choir. Yeah, I used to do all those things. Why not now? Oh, oh they need younger blood. And to watch somebody who takes this, this word of God, this old book of the Bible that has everything God wants us to know about everything in it, to take this Bible and to use it as some little artifact, like a vase, and lay it there someplace prominent, where you can get it on your coffee table, on the arm of your easy chair, something like that. But in your hand, what you hold more than anything else that's black is not the Bible, it's the clicker for the TV. And that's the way you finish. I heard Chuck Swindoll say that the older his father got, the more interested he got in food. He didn't want meal. Well, what's for supper? Well, what are we going to have for breakfast? He said, all of a sudden, this tremendous interest in life and Christ and all of this just sort of faded. And he may have started well, but it didn't end well. I believe that we're called upon by the Lord to devote ourselves to the finish. The Apostle Paul says, I have finished the course. I didn't leave one yard, one foot of it unrun. I did not stop before I crossed the finish line. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. You're going to have to do four things to do that. Quickly, you're going to have to increase your desire. That means the older you live, the, the more you ought to desire to be like Jesus. You don't get to a magic number and say, I don't have to want to be like Jesus anymore. I'm, I'm whatever I'm going to be. I'm just stuck. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. There's people right here who've quit growing. You need a desire to be like Jesus. You have to increase your desire. You have to increase your discipline. That means it takes more discipline the longer you live. You say, you mean as a 70 or 80-year-old? Yes, sir, it takes more discipline to serve the Lord. You have to make yourself do some things that might have come a little bit easier, but it takes more discipline to serve the Lord. It takes increasing discernment. You have to be wiser about the things that will destroy your faith. Increasing dedication. You know what you'll get out of all that? you'll get increased usefulness. Now, I'm going to tell you something surprising. If you'll be devoted to the Father, devoted to your family, devoted to the faith, and devoted to the finish. Now, listen carefully. The 24 hours of your life that will be the single most useful 24 hours of your life. You will have more utility you say, oh, I remember that was. That was back when I was head of this department, back when I was teaching. That was back when I could really get around. That was back when I could walk better. That was back... No, no. If you devote yourself this way, your greatest utility to God will be the last 24 hours you live on this earth. Because God's plan is not that you be real useful and diminish your usefulness. 
God's plan is that every day you live, you become more and more useful to Him. Hey, the retirement program for God is never, never going to be cashed in upon on this earth. Heaven. And the last stewardship you'll have to, to exercise will be your stewardship, probably of pain and, and death. It'll be your opportunity to show God and show the world how you, you showed how you handled money, you showed you how you handled time, you showed how you handled relationships. And finally, the world will get to see how a Christian handles pain and death. And you will be more and more useful to the, right up to the day you die. And folks, that excites me. As your days are, so shall your strength be. God says it in His Word. Father in heaven, how I pray, believing in these moments your Holy Spirit will show us the importance of being devoted, devoted to you, devoted to our families, devoted to our faith, devoted to the finish. Lord, all those other things that claim our attention need our devotion. They really will fall in place if we will express devotion, singular focus in these areas. Oh, God, show us the truth of that, I pray. In Jesus' name, your head's bowed, eyes are closed. We're going to stand in a few moments. Our praise singers are going to help us as we sing a hymn of invitation. I'd like for us to sing all to Jesus. I surrender all to him I freely give. I'll ever love and trust him. In his presence, daily live. This is your invitation. It's an invitation for you to come to this altar. Some of you simply want to come and kneel. Maybe you want to come as a family or as a couple and say, Lord, this is the first decision. I will be, we will be devoted devoted and you come and say that to the Lord there's some people here this evening who need to come be a part of this church family I would urge you just to do it I mean just go ahead and get yourself centered focused ministering God speaking to your heart that'd be wonderful and so I would encourage you to do that as God leads you this evening come find a counselor say we want to join I want to join there are other people who've made decisions in earlier services we've not introduced you to the church you come please and be seated where it says seating for new members our counselors will be coming and we'll have counselors standing down here at the front. People will come to pray. And I believe there are people who need to trust Jesus. I'm going to ask our counselors to stand right here, if you would, please, quickly. And um, I believe there are people who need to come this evening and say, look, what I need to do is to give my heart to God. I don't even know I'm going to heaven. And I realize now Jesus paid for my sins by his death on the cross. He's alive. He's risen from the grave. He promised he would forgive me, cleanse me. If I would trust in him, and I'm coming tonight to give my life to him. You say, well, what do I say? Just come say to one of these counters, I want to trust Jesus. You may have some other need. This altar is open. People are already coming. Let's stand together. And Father, as we stand in prayer, we're trusting your Holy Spirit to do your work in our hearts in this moment. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. Oh, Amen. Jesus. Folks are coming. Will you just